Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. I'd just love to add my welcome, and again, particularly if you're new, if I haven't met you before, um, it's great to have you here at Gateway. As Al said, I have the privilege of leading the team, and I have the privilege of kicking us off on our new preaching series this morning. We are going to be digging into the book of Haggai. If you want to find Haggai in your Bibles, go to the New Testament, find the book of Matthew, which is a long way through, but easier to find than Haggai. See, I've done it already, than Haggai. And then go back a few pages and you'll find it just tucked before the New Testament. We are um, starting our new preaching series. Um, This really got kicked off from when Steve Oliver was last with us um, a few months earlier this year. And just as a team, he said to us, can I encourage you guys to preach again into um, who you are as a church, who God has called you to be? Um, And to set that before the church, he said, I feel like being, so when he was last with us, he said to us at the end of his time with us, he said, I feel like God's bringing you into what is a reset moment for you as a church. So even Steve managed to come up with this title for us, which was very nice of him. Um, What kind of house will you build for me? I I couldn't get him to preach, which is a shame. Um, We just felt, as Steve was saying that, yeah, we want to do that. We want to preach again into who God's called us to be. So that sense of um, a reset moment resonated. If we had seen the right video, um, you would have seen that our family of churches is carrying a promise of God about building in a new era. And I, that so resonates with where, I, where we feel we're at, is we need to learn to build in a new era. And so putting in front of us again who God has called us to be is so important. And for many of us, we're new to Gateway and we wouldn't know who are we. And some of us have forgotten And we want to kind of go, no, this is who God has called us to be. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next seven or eight um, weeks, Sundays, as we gather together. So why Haggai? Because this book, as we will see as we get going, is so relevant to us today. It is a book that just speaks so clearly to us. It's Firstly, it's a call to wake up from spiritual apathy to the people of God. It's a call to say, forget consuming church. Come on, waken up to the glory and majesty of God and fall in love with him again, both personally and corporately. It shows us what happens when God's people respond to God's voice. It calls us to glorify God above all things and to treasure him more than everything else in life. And it tells us that when we are passionate about the glory of God, then we begin to prioritize the things that God himself is passionate about. When we're passionate about the glory of God above everything else, then we begin to prioritize the things that God is passionate about. And secondly, as a team, we felt the need, as I just said, to put again back in front of us who God has called us to be, to remind ourselves of the prophetic promises over us as a church. And so how we're going to do this is on alternate weeks, we're going to preach through Haggai and say, okay, what does this look like specifically for us, Gateway? Who has God called us to be? This element we've just looked at, what does it look like the following week? And so that's how we're going to um, try and work this because we want to shape ourselves around the promises of God for us. We are a prophetically led and shaped people. And we want to respond to God. And basically, it's time to live up to our name. I just sense that in my spirit, that it's time for us, Gateway, to live up to who God has called us to be. 
So firstly, we're doing it because it's a relevant book to us today. Because we, secondly, we feel the need to put back in front of us who God's called us to be as his people here at Gateway. And then thirdly, it feels timely. Just in my spirit as I've been um, reading this and studying it and, and pondering it on behalf of us, I just sense that God's hand is upon us in this season. Carla's just been encouraging us as a team exactly that um, with what she feels God's talking to us about as a church. There's a timeliness to this. And interestingly, um, we gathered with other churches from across Swindon um, earlier this week at Freshbrook Church for a great evening of um, prayer and worship. And Nigel um, was stood by Steve Robinson and Steve leads Gorse Hill Baptist. And Nigel said all evening he, he had um, his Bible open at Haggai 1. And Nigel said to him at the end, oh, you didn't share it, Steve? And he said, no, I didn't, didn't get to, but I feel it's a timely word for us. And so, hey, if it's good enough for Steve and we're on the money, that's all I can say. Um, and in this book, there are huge encouragements for us to live faithful lives. So I hope that begins to just whet our appetite. Um, I am under strict orders to finish at 20 past five. So if anybody at that point just wants to get up and walk out, that's fine. No, we will stop then, okay? We've got next week as well, so we'll try our... No, we will. <laughs> um, I'm going to pray. Father... We thank you that you love your church. We thank you that you are here with us, that you have committed yourself to your people for all eternity. And we thank you, therefore, that we can say that we are your people and you are our God. And we just pray that this afternoon as we come to your word, we thank you that it is a living and powerful word, that it brings life and it calls us to you, to know you, to delight in you. It calls us to, to, to um, pursue you with fresh vigor and intensity. It reveals who you are to us, and it brings joy and sustenance to us. So we just pray as we come to your word, would you do us good today? I pray that as your people, even as we just see how um, your people in the book of Haggai responded to your word, I pray right up front that we would have soft, open hearts and ears and the eyes of our soul would be opened to what you want to do with us in this season and today, both together corporately and personally. We pray this. We pray this for your glory. We pray it for your glory in our lives, in this town, in this people here at Gateway. We pray it, Lord, that you may be glorified above all things. So come and do what only you can do by your spirit, which is to win for yourself a people after your own heart. So we bless your name as we get going in this. Amen. So this, the book of Haggai is named after the prophet um, whose message it contains. Haggai, um, he gave four messages, four oracles, prophecies, if you like, over a four-month period to the people of exile, the, the, the remnant who had returned, um, sorry, the people of Israel, the remnant who had returned from exile in Babylon. Before we can get going into this message and see what does it mean for us, with this book and 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 so often the books of the Old Testament, particularly prophetic books, we have to understand the context. Because this book was written to a totally different people. At a different time, a different culture, a different context to us. And, and if we want to understand the heart of Haggai's message, we've got to understand at least a bit of the, the context of why he was writing this. What was going on. And so for a few moments we're going to do that. Hopefully it won't be too much like a, um, a boring history lesson. Um, We'll just take a couple of minutes, but it really is important that we understand this was a message for a people who were in a very different circumstance to us. Yet the message underneath 
is absolutely relevant for us. So for centuries, God had sent his prophets to Israel to, to warn them to remain faithful to their covenant with God. Okay, that's the story of the Old Testament. Come on, be faithful. Be faithful. Me before any other gods. And he sent prophet after prophet saying, you guys need to do this. You guys have to do it. I'm your God. You're my people. And it's meant to look like something that's different from the nations around you. And for centuries, the prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God. Through idolatry, indifference, injustice, apathy. And God had said, hey guys, this is not good enough. And if you carry this on, I'm going to use Babylon to come in. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to destroy the city. And they'll carry you off into exile because of your disobedience. In fact, if you read Jeremiah, particularly chapter 3, Jeremiah is describing um, how God sees Israel, his people. And he says, he says of his own people, he says, you're an adulterer. In fact, even more than that, he calls them a vile harlot. He says, you're a whore. Literally, ESV uses that word. You're a vile whore. That's fairly strong language. But it shows how much God feels about his people placing him first in our lives. And so God had used the prophets to warn them to say, you better watch out. If you don't put me first and center in your life, this is what will happen to you. And in 587 BC, it's exactly what happened. The temple was destroyed, the city was ransacked, the walls were broken down, and the cream of the crop of Israel were carried off into captivity, into exile in Babylon. So then when we come to the book of Haggai, the year is now 520 BC. Remember BC, the years go the other way to us. And it's nearly 70 years after the exile. So that's where we arrive in this book, almost 70 years later. And the Babylonian empire has now collapsed and the world is now being run by the Persian Empire. And I don't know if you remember, hopefully a while back when we studied Daniel, this is exactly what Daniel prophesied would happen. And so under Cyrus now, the world is now ruled. And Cyrus says to the Jewish people, God's people, you can now return home to your homeland. You can go back to Jerusalem. In fact, you can go back and rebuild the temple. And so that's precisely what God's people begin to do. Under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua, who isn't Moses' mate, by the way. That was a 1,000 years early, earlier. And a guy called Zerubbabel, who's an heir from the line of David, and it was his great, great, great um, grandfather who was king when God's people were taken off into exile. These guys led God's people back to Jerusalem, along with others like Ezra and Nehemiah and prophets like Haggai and Zechariah. And so they were allowed to return and you can read that story in Ezra, uh, beginning chapters of Ezra. And so at that point in the story, it seems like the hopes of Israel are fairly bright. Fairly, things are looking good on the surface. Hey, phew, at last we can go home. But that is not the case, at least not from Haggai's point of view. They're allowed to rebuild the temple. But the problem is they start rebuilding and then they stop. The work isn't completed. God's people do not complete what they have started. And this, for this very reason, this, this physical reason, God prompts Haggai as a prophet to go and bring a message to his people. 
into this circumstance about stopping, those guys stopping building the temple. It seems that for some reason God is not happy with that and he says, no, come on. The temple, as we'll read in a moment. Now Haggai is slightly different from other Old Testament prophets. At times, some of the, the other Old Testament prophets were, um, they kind of gave very strong warnings, as I just said a moment ago in Jeremiah. They, they warned God's people with drastic pictures of what would happen. And Haggai comes and he seems to be much more affirming of, of their circumstance. He understands that these people are in distress. They're, they're, they've returned, but they are at the lowest moment of low. They have no resource, no finance, kind of hopeless people. And Haggai comes along and he lifts their head. He says, guys, I get it, but this is what God wants to do. And so God prompts Haggai to speak. And it's this problem, this physical problem of the temple laying in ruins that is going to show us the heart of the message of Haggai behind the scenes, if you like. It's, it's when we understand, oh gosh, this temple lying in ruins, and the heart behind that is actually the message that Haggai wants us to understand. And as we'll see as we get going, even right now, this is so relevant to us. So if you like, there's a question over the book that hangs over the book, and it says this, will Haggai's generation be faithful to God? So it's a very simple question. Hey, is post-exile Israel, are you going to be faithful to the promises of God in your generation? But of course, church, isn't that the challenge to every generation, to us today? Hey, Gateway, East, this day marked out by the Swindon Half Marathon, are you going to be faithful to God in your generation? So easily, to, I find it so easy to just quickly say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, until the prophet comes along and begins to say, but what about this? Just a couple more things before we get going. This book also is encouraging in that it shows us that the choices we make as God's people really matter. They have consequences. God gets hold of our decisions, just as we saw in the book of Ruth. And he uses them. He uses them for his purposes. Isn't that amazing? God chooses human agency to work his purposes out. I, just, I find that astounding. I cannot get my head around it. That God, the Lord of hosts, as we'll see in a moment, he uses you and I for his purposes. Not just to join us in, but to work out his purposes here. That's an amazing privilege. Just a couple of things. The characters. So we've got the prophet Haggai. We've got the high priest, Joshua. And a governor who's in the Davidic line. He isn't king. Zerubbabel. He's not king, but he is in the line of David. Just notice that you've got prophet, priest, and king who speak to God's people. Just worth noticing that. And the people of God respond to them, as we'll see in a moment. But there's another character that we mustn't miss in this story. Okay, It's easy to kind of go, oh, these are the main players. But there's another character who, in fact, is the main player in this story, and that is God himself. And Haggai wants us to grasp that God is front and center in his message, in his story, that, that it isn't even Haggai the prophet, but it's God. And 14 times in this short book, Haggai uses this term that's unique to him and Moses earlier before, but the Lord of hosts. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but we just read the names that's given to God and we kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
This Lord of hosts is a pregnant name. It's a powerful name. He is the host of the stars in the sky. We talk about that, don't we? Like hosts. The stars are like hosts that light up the sky that tell of the glory and the wondrous works and the almighty, sovereign, creative power of God over creation. He's the Lord of the armies of heaven. They're his host at his bidding. He's a, and, and boy, can they do some damage if God tells them to. He's the Lord of the host of angels of heaven. And he tells angels, right, go and give them this message. Go and tell them. Go and let them know. We were just having coffee with Julian and Sarah earlier this week. And I was rabbiting on about a story that I'm convinced where God used an angel in mine and Emma's life. I can't prove it to you. I'm just convinced. Um, I, he, God uses his angels in everyday circumstances. And the Bible tells us that you've probably entertained them without even realizing it at points. It's these mighty angels who, by the way, aren't little floaty things that kind of strum harps. They're mighty, powerful beings where soldiers tremble and faint as though dead before them. Okay, and God is the the Lord of hosts. And isn't it amazing that this sovereign, almighty, powerful, who has absolute control over all of creation, in this book is speaking to his people. And he says, this is who I am. And look at what I'm promising you guys. So we're going to dig into um, the first oracle, chapter one. I really don't know where we get this week, but it's fine. We'll pick up next week. Um, This is the first oracle in chapter one where God challenges the people. So Haggai chapter one, verse one. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people, talking about the exiles who have returned, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. It kind of sounds like normal life to me. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when I brought it home, I blew it away. Isn't it amazing? God's own people. And he said, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Literally, you're running backwards and forwards, just looking after your own interests. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. And here, 
Haggai is picking up on the Levitical, uh, oh, sorry, from Leviticus, the curses and blessings that God spoke about. If you honor me, then this will go well for you. But if you don't honor me, then you'll be cursed as a people. And Haggai is saying, it's what's happening right here. He's letting the people know this is the consequence of not having God out front and center in your lives and community. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord, a reverent fear. Not just afraid, but a reverent fear of God. Then Haggai, the message, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. It's the drumbeat that encourages and strengthens and motivates and spurs on and, and calls God's people to go into battle. Hey, Joshua, be bold and courageous because I, the Lord, your God, am with you. It's the drumbeat which is exactly right to say, Jules, Dan, as you go off to uni, it's a drumbeat. He says, I am with you. Be bold and courageous. It's a drumbeat as you go back to work tomorrow and you can't really be bothered because your bosses are whatever and be bold and courageous. I'm with you, says the Lord of hosts. He's not a cuddly God. He's God Almighty. And he says to you right now, I am with you. This was a message to the people of Haggai. I am with you, declares the Lord. Isn't it interesting that they, they, they seem to respond? The issue with um, Israel pre-exile is that they didn't respond to the prophet, priest, and king. They had hardened hearts that were dead to God. They weren't interested in the word of God. And they said, no, we're interested in our own welfare and in our priorities, not your priorities, God. God says, fine, have it your way. And off they go to exile. And here the, the, the prophet comes again, the word of the Lord comes, and this time the people respond. Because God has said to them, consider, literally, look at your life, the things you prioritize. So when God says twice there, consider your ways, verse 5 and 7, now therefore consider your ways. God is literally saying, take stock of your life. Look at the things that are priorities for you. Examine them. And then examine the payout, the reward of those things. Does it go well for you? Hey, some people who are far from God might say it goes extremely well. I've got a full bank account. I've got nice cars, the other nice car, the nice wife, the nice bit on the side, the nice life, the nice car, the nice holidays. It's working extremely well. Hey, but you don't have the Lord of hosts who says, I'm with you and I'm for you. And therefore, you don't have peace and joy that's beyond circumstance in life. What happens when your bank account empties and your wife dies and the car this and that and the other? And God says, I'm with you in those moments, my people. Therefore, be bold and courageous. I'm with you, declares the Lord. Verse 14, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. Amen. Isn't that amazing? 
what an incredible just opening short chapter into this story, this, this situation where people are down in the dumps. And rightly so, they're trying to make a living. They're trying to make the best of what seems like a bad situation. And no matter how hard they work, it hardly works. I wonder for how many of us that resonates. We, we find ourselves as a team kind of saying quite often, oh my goodness, we're working so hard, but why is it not working? Why can we not do more? There's more to do and we can't even manage what we've got, let alone the other stuff. And God speaks into that, both for us corporately and personally. And he says, I want you to prioritize. I want you to consider your life. Is it about the glory of God? Isn't it interesting that after considering they obeyed the voice of God, and then immediately, I'm with you. And immediately God's spirit comes and stirs the people of God. Not once they've proven it, but a decision is made. They gave themselves and then God comes up and replies back to them, I'm with you. Good decision. Well done. I'm with you. I'm for you. Be strengthened. And the spirit of God comes and motivates the people. It's not, well, I better rock up to church again next Sunday. Because that's what a good Christian life looks like. There's a hunger for God's purposes. Because like we said right at the beginning, when we prioritize the glory of God, when that for us is the thing that we treasure above everything else, then we begin to prioritize what God treasures. What is priorities for him. And so it's God first, God above all things. That's the message of this book in Haggai. I'm just going to finish with this. I realize um, I'm out of time and I'm miles behind, but that's fine. For a moment, I want us to think about the temple. So often we, we read about the temple, we, we, we'll see the temple, but the question that I want us to ask quickly is, what's the big deal with the temple? Why does it matter even that this temple's lying in ruins? It's an old building. What is the problem? Why is it a crisis seemingly for God? Why has he got his knickers in a twist? Sorry if that's a bit irreverent. I don't think he does, but, you know, on the face of it. Why is there a crisis that there's no temple for God's people? Why, why does God take them to task on this? The temple through the scriptures is crucial. Whether it's in the garden of Eden with God with his people. In the tent in the desert, I'm with you in this tabernacle. Or in Solomon's temple when they built it. God's, God's temple is God's dwelling place. It's his home among his people. It's crucial. It's not, just, it's not just a nice to have. It's critical to God's people. It's a big deal for Israel. It's what marks them out as different from every nation around them because it says God is with this people. Look, the temple. Look, the tent. Look, the garden. It's what marks out God's people as different from every other nation. No temple, no presence of God, no different. And for 70 years, just think about this for a moment, Israel has not had a temple. And the significance of that for Israel is also this. Because the temple is the dwelling place. It's the home of God among his people. So they can't say, well, God's with us. He's not with them. Not present among their community. And the other point is that the temple is the place of sacrifice. So that when you sin, there is a place that you can go and receive forgiveness for your sin. You can be put right with God. You can be cleansed and washed clean. Hey, no temple, no sacrifice. This is a disaster for God's people. 
And so we must, as we get into this book, understand that this temple issue is a massive one, which is why Haggai is saying, come on, guys. It's not your stuff first, God later. It's God first, your stuff second. In fact, it's God first, he's got your stuff. So therefore, without the temple, God is not with us. And you are still in your sin. Isn't that a challenge? You see, it wasn't simply the catastrophe of a building being knocked down a few years earlier. It was a catastrophe of the absence of the presence of God. Just wonder, church, how much we prioritize and treasure the presence of God and how much we assume, of course he's with us. You know, he's promised he's with us, therefore we're fine. What makes a temple glorious is not the gold and the pillars and the the tables and the lampstands and all the amazing intricacies of the fabrics and all the systems and processes that the priests had to go through. What makes a temple glorious is that God is among his people. It's the presence of God. It's what make, otherwise, it's just a building. Hey, spectacular, but just a building. And in the Old Testament, the temple is a place that God dwells with his people. It's a place of sacrifice, as I've just said. In the New Testament, we have the coming of Christ. And Christ is both the temple, he is the dwelling place, he is God with us, and he is also the sacrifice for us. And so don't make the mistake of just jumping, going Old Testament temple, New Testament church. Because then we're in danger of missing out the key Jesus bit. Jesus not only came in place of the temple, but he came to supersede it. And he said, I am building a new living temple. It's called the church. And it's made up of vagabonds and waywards and criminals and and adulterers and people just like you and me. And he says, I'm going to breathe my life into you and you'll be a living stone in this living temple that is my home by my spirit, says God. And so Jesus supersedes the temple and what makes the church glorious? What, what makes the church glorious? It's the presence of God among his people. And that's who we are, guys. We're the presence of God. We carry the presence of God. You carry the presence of God. Tomorrow as you go into your workplace, as you face a circumstance or situation you don't want to have to do, you go, I've got to do it again. You carry the presence of God. As we gather together, as we put God's promises in front of us, even before we do that, God is among us. This is a living temple of God. And so our hope is not that a third temple may be built in Israel. I know I may be touching a few buttons there. But that isn't a hope. That isn't the trajectory of the Bible. It isn't. Our trajectory is God with his people, new heavens and new earth, the lamb and the bride together for all eternity. Creation is the glory of God. It's a temple where God's in eternity where God's presence will dwell with his people. And God says, I am committing myself to you forever. We're not shooting for a new building in Israel at some point in the future. We're saying, God, fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of you as the waters Cover the earth, and I'm over, so I'll finish. Therefore, if the dwelling of God among his people and the place of sacrifice for us today in the New Testament 
revolves around Jesus. It all revolves around you and your throne. We'd do well to tell people. We'd do well to introduce people. We'd do well to say, God is with us. And when we put God's priorities in front of us, it is a sign and wonder to the world. They may not get it. They may not like it. But we will find that people will say, God, surely God is with them. Surely God is with them. And some of the response to um, these prophetic promises of Haggai and how the people responded, it put the fear of God in the nations around them as they recognize that God is with these people again. So I will finish there. Crash landing. But we have next week. And I'm already five minutes over. And it'll be another five minutes. Right. Shut up, Colin. Can I just invite you to stand? And now I pray for 10 minutes. I'm joking. Father, just bless you. We bless your name. We thank you that you are the Lord of hosts. You're the God of hosts of heaven. That you are sovereign and mighty and powerful. And that brings us strength and renewal. And we just pray, Lord, right now that our hearts may respond to you favorably just as your people did as Haggai spoke to them. And so I pray that this week we will go and deeply consider our lives. That we would look at our lives and take stock and say, is God really at the forefront of my life? Is my desire really to glorify him in my life and in this church among his people? And I pray that just like um, your people back then in the day of Haggai, I pray that we would respond. We would respond to your word because that is what your word sets out to do. It, it, it evokes and calls a response of heart, a change of life, a turning away from sin towards you. And I pray that we would take you seriously at your word today. And that the response immediately would be, I am with you. And you would breathe your spirit into us and stir us up. Not that we would get excited about your plans and promises for us, although we long for that. But that, Lord, we would love your glory more than anything else and be hungry for that. That that would be the driving force of who we are as your people is God with us. And so we pray this for your glory and our joy. We pray it for the, for the, for the town and we pray it out for out to the nations of the world that you would get hold of us afresh in this day. Lord, be glorified, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.